Welcome to the African History Network show. It is Wednesday, December 8th, 2021, and we are live. So I'm going to do a follow-up on uh, a story we covered back in February. Some of you may have remember, uh, some of you uh, may remember uh, this story, and it dealt with uh, an appraiser, a home appraiser who appraised the value of this African-American uh, couple's home, uh, appraised the value um, at a very low rate. Um, and this was in California, Paul and Tanisha Tate. Uh, we have an update uh, in that story because they filed a lawsuit against the appraiser. Okay, so we're going to talk about that story. Um, black couple sues appraiser for valuing home at $500,000 more when whitewashed. Black couple sues appraiser for valuing home for fi at $500,000 more when whitewashed. And this deals with systemic racism when it comes to uh, home appraisals. Okay, so this is a story that came out back in February of 2021 out of California. We talked about it here on the show. Uh, this week, uh, the African-American couple has filed a lawsuit uh, against the appraiser. Okay, so we'll talk about that. And then uh, we have an update in the um, arrest of the suspect who uh, allegedly shot and killed um, the wife of music executive Clarence Avant, okay, Clarence Avant, uh, Jacqueline Avant. We told you about this story last week. Uh, it was a, a parent home invasion in, uh, in Beverly Hills, California, and the uh, wife of uh, music executive Clarence Avant, and Clarence Avant, we know, was the subject of the uh, documentary uh, The Black Godfather. Uh, his wife was uh, shot and killed. And we told you that uh, a suspect had been arrested. Okay. Um, now, arraignment of the suspect um, has been delayed. Uh, and the suspect is still in, in the hospital. So we're going to give you an update uh, on that story as well. The arraignment of a Los Angeles man, Ariel Maynard, uh, charged in the shooting death of Jacqueline Avant. Uh, the wife of music executive Clarence Avant was delayed on Tuesday as he remains hospitalized because he apparently shot himself in the foot with his AR-15 assault rifle. And he was uh, wounded and bleeding when police found him. So we'll talk about that. And then uh, December 7th, 1874, was the Vicksburg Massacre in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And this is a massacre and attack on African-Americans that surrounded political power as well. We've talked about that before here on the show, the Vicksburg Massacre. So we'll talk about it uh, again today. The Vicksburg Massacre of December 7th, uh, 1874, that left an estimated somewhere between 75 to 300 African-Americans killed. And uh, you had white people who attacked African-Americans who had organized to defend an African-American sheriff named Peter Crosby, Peter Crosby. So we'll talk about the Vicksburg uh, massacre of uh, 1874 in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Now, in the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. 
because right now it corrects your own behavior, what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow the people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. All right, now, on yesterday's show, you know, we, we covered uh, the Department of Justice um, refusing to uh, file charges in the, um, well, it would be perjury charges against Carolyn Bryant, uh, any type of perjury charges or any charges in the uh, murder of Emmett Teal back August 28, 1955. We're going to be rebroadcasting that uh, broadcast for the next few days on our social media platforms, our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotel. So check that out. I got a lot of positive responses from the uh, show we did yesterday. And if you missed uh, our show on Tuesday, we actually went through the the 16-page Department of Justice report that they released on the case and why they could not uh, prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Carolyn Bryant recanted her testimony and that she uh, lied in the investigation that was conducted in 2004 and the investigation that just concluded uh, yesterday. All right. So I, I want to uh, jump into this first story here. Um, this deals with, so the Washington Post has a, has a big article um, about this, uh, couple and, and, and about, uh, discrimination when it comes to, um, home ownership. Okay. And, and, and appraisals, uh, there was an article from, uh, the Washington post from December 6, 2021 called, uh, a black couple says a black couple says an appraiser lowballed them. Uh, so they whitewash their home and and say the value shot up. So they whitewash their home and say the value shot up. All right. Uh, there was also a really good segment on the Black News Channel uh, yesterday that we're going to go to on the other side of the break. So if we look quickly here at this article from the Washington Post, a black couple says an appraiser lowballed them. So they whitewashed their home and say the value shot up. Uh, now this story we originally heard back in uh, February of this year. Paul uh, Paul Austin and his wife, Tanisha Tate Austin. Okay, now Paul Austin said he felt good uh, as the appraiser roamed his Northern California home last year, ticking off some of the $400,000 worth of improvements. He and his wife, uh, Tanisha Tate Austin had made uh, to the property. Now, the appraiser noted the fireplace. Um, Paul Austin told a state uh, a state reparations task force in October 2021 uh, mentioned a room they had added and compl and complimented the view from the new deck. So uh, Paul Austin and his wife, Tanisha, were shocked when the appraiser pegged the value of the Marin City home in the San Francisco Bay Area at $955,000, far lower than previous appraisals, far lower than previous appraisals. Now, Paul Austin told KGO-TV in February 2021, it was a slap in the face. It was a slap in the face. 
Now, Paul Austin and his wife, Tanisha Tate Austin, decided to get another opinion three weeks later. They say they say in a lawsuit filed on Thursday, they, uh, they filed this lawsuit um, uh, last week in federal court in San Francisco. So that'd be Thursday, uh, December 2nd. Now, this time they enlisted the help of their white friend, Jan, who agreed to pretend to be the homeowner for a different appraiser, the lawsuit alleges. The Austins did what is being called whitewashed and there are numerous stories uh, over the past two years dealing with this. The Austins whitewashed their house by removing their family photos and stripping the walls of their African themed art, stripping the walls of their African themed art. Now, their friend Jan, helped on this front too by staging photos of her own family the lawsuit states okay so what this we continue to see examples of this in different different cities where there is a huge discrepancy in the appraisal uh, values of homes that uh clearly are lived in by african americans compared to homes that are uh, appear to, to uh, uh, be owned and lived in by white people. Okay. We see a clear distinction in the appraisal when it comes to the home values. So Jan helped uh, on this front too, by staging photos of her own family. The lawsuit says now the new appraisal came in at $1.48 million nearly half a million dollars more than the previous estimate. So the previous estimate was $995,000. And this is after they did for uh, $400,000 with the upgrades uh, to the worth of improvements to the home. The, the new estimate when it appeared that their white friend Jan owned the home and lived there came in at 1.48 million. We're going to continue this on the other side of the break. We're going to revisit this story also from February, let you hear what happened back in February, and we'll go to the clip from the Black News Channel where they did a segment about this also. Uh, you listen to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotel right here on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation of Future Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's time to be the ghost LOXD block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWillie.com. Kwanzaa is coming and the KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today, which includes a Kanara, candles, a mat, a cup, 
the African-American flag, and a basket. Visit thekwanzashop.com, thekwanzashop.com. They have Kanara sets, which include a candle holder, candles, a mat, and a cup. Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. Add the early bird discount code for 10% off your order placed before November 28th. Visit thekwanzashop.com and place your order today. Thekwanzashop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African-American Pan-African holiday. Thekwanzashop.com Okay, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and you can uh, register for the online courses I teach on Saturdays and Sundays, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865-1968. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Wednesday, December 8th, 2021, and we are live. Uh, call in numbers 313-778-7600, 313-778-7600. Want to remind you, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register for the online history classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. On Saturdays, it is uh, a 10-week online course I teach called From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. We do the class live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch them anytime after you register for the class. And then on uh, Sundays, I teach... Uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. We do a thousand years of history and do what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place also. We do that 12 noon to 2 p.m. Saturdays and Sundays. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Normally, the classes are $130 each. We have a special um, uh, bundle pack right now. You can register for both classes for only $70. As soon as you register, you can uh, watch the classes we did this past weekend. Okay. Uh, I want to go back to this story here. So there was a, a really good article from the Washington Post uh, from uh, December 6th, from uh, Monday, December 6th, 2021. Uh, a black couple says an appraiser lowballed them, so they whitewashed their home and say the value shot up. All right. Now, this is um, a, a continuation of a story that we uh, covered back in February of 2021 uh, uh, about Paul Austin and his wife, Tanisha Tate Austin. OK, Paul Austin and his wife, Tanisha Tate Austin, who own a home in uh, San Francisco Bay in uh, uh, Marin City, home in uh, San Francisco Bay area. And the home was uh, appraised for nine hundred and ninety five thousand dollars, far lower than previous appraisals. Then they had their white friends sit in and they took down African-American art pictures, African art pictures and things like this. Their white friend pretend to be the homeowner and uh, uh, put up photos of her family, et cetera. And the uh, appraisal came back at one point four eight million dollars, almost half a million dollars more than the previous estimate. All right. Now, I want to go to this clip here from. uh this is from uh, now they filed a lawsuit also against the appraiser uh, last week. OK, we're going to talk about that here in just a second. Uh, I want to go to this clip here from uh, ABC Channel 7 in uh, the San Francisco area. This is from February 2021. This is the original story 
uh, about what happened to uh, Paul Austin and Tanisha Tate Austin. Let's go to clip one, Shakita. All right. Okay, just press play uh, when it starts. Uh, the heal.com also has an no secret okay, that home ownership is the pathway to building wealth in America. But what's hard in the Bay Area is even harder for some. And tonight, a look at the growing inequity in home ownership rates in the Bay Area. ABC 7 News race and culture reporter Julian Glover has the story of a Marin couple who almost got cheated out of half a million dollars. You know, I mean, it was work, but it was exciting. Paul and his wife, Tanisha Austin, felt like they captured a slice of the American dream in 2016 when they purchased their first home together, this original Marin City Pole home. But it wasn't without challenges. As soon as, like, a house came on the market, you go in, you put your bid in, and then you get outbidded by, like, 100000 or more rather quickly. And that can be, you know, a little bit depressing. They bought the home off market from another black family, hoping to make homeownership a reality for a young black couple. After moving into the home built in the 1960s, the Austin staged major renovations, adding an entire floor and more than 1,000 square feet of space, along with a deck, new floors, a fireplace, and new appliances. Then they got it appraised. I read the appraisal. I looked at the number. I was like, this is unbelievable. The family tells me the appraiser was an older white woman, and they're convinced race was a factor. The home appraised for $989,000, just $100,000 more than the Austins got it appraised for before they started the work, despite $400,000 in renovations. It was like, you know, it was a slap in the face. The Austins immediately called their lender and pushed back. After a month of escalating their complaints, they were approved for a second appraisal. When the day came, they got creative. We had a conversation with one of our white friends, and she was like, no problem. I'll be Tanisha. I'll bring over some pictures of my family. She made our home look like it belonged to her. And it worked. So it appraised for 1.482, yeah. um, which was 50% more than what it appraised for yeah. by a couple weeks Prior. Almost $1.5, $500,000 more. The Austins were outraged and believe this is another ugly result of larger systemic issues. There are implications of the ability to create um, generational wealth or uh, pass things on if our house is appraised for 50% less than what, yeah. than what is valued at. We know discrimination is in nearly every aspect of the home buying process, and really we need to be addressing it as an industry. Discrimination in the housing market comes in many forms. It has a long history in our country and in the Bay Area leading to alarmingly low rates of black Americans owning their own home. Black home ownership lags across the country with less than half, only 44% of black Americans owning their own home in 2020. Compare that to 74% for white Americans. Looking at the Golden State, just 34% of black Californians own a home. In the Bay Area, those numbers are even lower. Just 33% of black San Francisco residents own a home compared to 61% of white San Franciscans. The numbers are more drastic in San Jose with a black home ownership rate of 31% and a white home ownership rate of 65%, more than double. Why are we seeing such a great disparity? Well, there are still problems in the housing industry, uh, black people being steered away from white neighborhoods, even though that is technically illegal, or black people not having the same access 
to uh, mortgages that white people have. According to the National Association of Realtors, black applicants are rejected for mortgage loans at rates three times higher than that of white applicants. Another factor suppressing black home ownership. African-Americans have nearly double the amount of student loan debt than we see for white home buyers. So that's just one of the many hurdles that um, African-American home buyers are, are really strapped with and hold back their buying power. And the pandemic has made things worse. The representative from NAR stressed closing the home ownership gap is essential to closing the wealth gap in our country. To make that happen, equity in housing and access to affordable homes must be the central focus. The Austins agree. If we are aware that implicit bias exists in other systems, uh, police, pools, why wouldn't they also exist in the housing market? And then what can we do to um, you know, fix that? There could be help on the way in the form of two Biden administration proposals. The first would extend $15,000 in down payment assistance for first-time home buyers. The other, a $100 billion fund to update existing and create new affordable housing. Covering race, culture, and social justice, Julian Glover, ABC7 News. Okay. Okay, so very good reporting from uh, Julian Glover, ABC Channel 7 uh news in the san francisco area so that was from february 2021 you may remember we we uh covered this story back in february when the news broke about this case uh this is the article here from abc7 uh san francisco abc7.com black couple a black california couple lowballed by five hundred thousand dollars in home appraisal believe race was a factor okay now they have filed uh paul austin and Tanisha Tate Austin filed a lawsuit against uh, the appraiser whose name is Janet Miller. Okay. They filed the lawsuit on uh, Thursday, December 2nd, 2021. This article here from the Washington Post that many people may have seen, you may have seen on social media, what have you. Uh, you may have seen the story that the Black News Channel uh, did yesterday, did uh, on uh, December 7th. This article talks about the lawsuit that they filed. A black couple says an appraiser lowballed them, so they whitewashed their home and say the value shot up. All right. This is uh, Paul Austin and Tanisha Tate Austin. Uh, also, uh, TheHill.com has a short article dealing with the lawsuit that they filed as well. Okay, so the article goes on to say from the Washington Post, um, Austin and his wife, uh, Tanisha Tate, decided to get another opinion. All right. Now, the new appraisal came in at one point four eight million dollars after they had their friend Jan, who's a white female, pretend to be the homeowner uh, and put in uh, pictures of her white family to make it look like someone white lived there. Now, the Austins, according to the lawsuit, believe uh, the first appraiser, whose name is Jan uh, Jeanette Miller, gave them a lowball valuation because they're African-American. The couple and the nonprofit uh, organization uh, Fair Housing Advocates of Northern California are now suing Jeanette Miller and her company, Miller and Perotti Real Estate Appraisals in San Rafael, California. They're seeking financial damages and asking the court to order the defendants to ensure they won't discriminate when appraising homes. They're asking the court to ensure, uh, they're asking uh, the court to order the defendants uh, to ensure that they won't, won't discriminate when appraising homes. Now, uh, Jeanette Miller and her appraisal company did not respond uh, to messages from the Washington Post sent late Sunday night. Attorneys with the Fair Housing Advocates, who are representing themselves, 
uh, and the Austin family also did not immediately respond to requests for comment. We're going to continue this on the other side of the break. We're going to go to the segment from uh, the Black News Channel uh, from uh, December 7th that dealt with uh, homes in African-American communities see loss of $156 billion due to racism and, appra and appraisals. That's the segregation tax that we've talked about. We've dealt with a study from the Brookings Institute that deals with how African-American homes on average are valued at $48,000 less than comparable white homes. You listen to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Soul in Motion, celebrating 38 years in the arts. This energetic ensemble of dancers and drummers was started by percussionist Michael Friend and is led by choreographer, associate director Pam Lassiter. Based in the Washington, D.C. area, Soul in Motion is now accepting bookings for Black History Month, Juneteenth, and summer festivals in 2022. Soul in Motion is also available for more intimate events like naming ceremonies and weddings. To find out more or book your date, call 240-452-1349 or send an email to info at soulinmotion.org. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Soul in Motion, celebrating our history, our culture, our future. Soul in Motion, theater, African dance, and drumming, since 1984. History Network show we deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It was laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take it out. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. 910, the Superstation. Detroit's only African-American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Wednesday, December 8th, 2021, and we are live. Okay, uh, call in numbers 313-778-7600. If you have a quick question or comment, 313-778-7600. If you have a quick question or comment. Um, also, if you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, we know Kwanzaa is coming up, African American History Month in January, Women's History Month in March, Dr. King Day, well, African American History Month in February, Dr. King Day, January, Women's History Month, uh, March, uh, Juneteenth in June. Email me at ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com, ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com, and we can make that happen. Also, the online courses that I teach, these are 10-week online courses, if you want me to teach these classes modified for your church, your organization, your study group, et cetera, email me. We can uh, make that happen uh, also either in person or virtually. Okay, so right before the break, we were talking about this story out of uh, Marin City in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. And this is a story we covered here 
um, back in February, uh, ABC uh, Channel 7 out of uh, San Francisco uh, had this story, black couple lowballed by $500,000 in home appraisal, believe race was a factor. And this is about Paul Austin and his wife, Tanisha Tate Austin. And uh, last week uh, on, these, on Thursday, December 2nd, they filed a lawsuit uh, against the appraiser, uh, Jeanette Miller, and her uh, company, her appraisal company. Uh, black couple sues appraiser for valuing home at $500,000 more when whitewashed. Now, this is an article from uh, TheHill.com, TheHill.com from December 8th, uh, 2021. Uh, Paul Austin and Tanisha uh, Tate Austin filed a lawsuit in federal district court this week. Uh, an appraiser, uh, uh, this week after an appraiser in 2020 valued the California home at nearly $500,000 less than it was worth earlier that year. So the, the, actually the, the, um, lawsuit, it appears the lawsuit was filed on, uh, Thursday, December 2nd, the appraiser valued the black uh, couple's Bay area home at $995,000, notably less than the $1.48 million. It was supposedly worth 10 months prior when their white friend sat in the kitchen and pretended to be the owner. Uh, at that time, they also whitewashed their home by hiding uh, photos and artwork, according to the San Francisco uh, Chronicle. Now the couple are suing Jeanette Miller, as well as the firm Miller and Perotti Real Estate Inc., uh, and a national firm, AMC Links LLC. They will seek a jury trial, payment for damages, and a court order and a court court order order that would require the appraisers to take steps to ensure that alleged discriminatory practices do not continue. The San Francisco Chronicle uh, reported. Um, so, okay. Um, Paul Austin said we did our homework. Um, he told the state's uh, reparations task force in October, according to the San Francisco Chronicle, quote, we believe the white lady wanted to devalue our property because we are in a black neighborhood and the home belonged to a black family, end quote. We believe the white lady wanted to devalue our property because we are in a black neighborhood and the home belonged to a black family. Now, on the Black News Channel, um, on uh, Tuesday, December 7th, they did a good segment dealing with this. Homes in black communities see loss of uh, $156 billion due to racism and appraisals. This is uh, Tashani Whitlow for the uh, Black News Channel. Let's go to clip number two, Shakita. Injustice is preventing black home ownership. That's the argument the Washington Post article makes where a couple in San Francisco says an appraiser lowballed them before they whitewashed their house. And if that wasn't bad enough, a study from the Brookings Institute found that homes in black neighborhoods were undervalued by an average, get this, $48,000, amounting to $156 billion in losses. So how can African-Americans fight this misjustice, right? Joining us now to give us more insight on this issue, we have Shantae Patton. She is the vice president and national education chair of the National Association of Real Estate Brokers. Shantae, it's a pleasure to have you. I mean, you just hear something like that. It just seems so unbelievable. But talk about how, unfortunately, this is happening more and more to folks like us. You know, this has been happening for a long time. And just because we don't hear about it, we start to think that it's not actually happening. 
And a lot of the issues that we have is because the majority of appraisers are white men and they make the barrier, you know, of entry so hard for African-Americans or anyone of color, you know, that we find ourselves in our equity, in our community, in our wealth, in the hands of an older white man who has been appraising homes potentially in a racial biased way for quite a while. Shantae, I mean, what does the color of the appraiser's skin, what does the co- my color have to do with me getting what is rightfully mine? Why do I got to whitewash my house to get the uh, appropriate value? You know, when we have people appraising the property and they already have bias against the community or they already think that this community should be valued less because of the amount of black or brown people in the community and they use their expertise as a way to justify these things, then we will continue to have this problem, even though it's not something that we should be dealing with, especially right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, Shantae, I mean, tell us how... How do we navigate this system? Because it is clearly a system, right? It sounds like a game, if anything. It is a game. And really, it comes down to policy. Really, the first thing that we need to do is close the barrier of entry to becoming an appraiser so that we can get more people of color into those positions. That would be the first thing. In the meantime, though, for homeowners, unfortunately, less. yes, we need to get real estate professionals in there who can truly help them you know, take down the level of culture in the home until we can work through the policy because that's where the change actually comes. We cannot have the um, our future in the hands of people who have bias and they've been able to control that part of the market Shantae, for so long. I'm so sorry. I, I'm like trying to pick up my mouth right now. Take out the culture. Mm-hmm. So I got to take my grandmother's, grandfather's photos down. I got to take my black art down. I got nothing else. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And we have to make change ASAP. So we should be able to. So you're saying we need to overhaul the system, right? Is that ultimately what you're saying? We have to overhaul the system. We have to overhaul the system and we have to get appraisers who look like the people that they are praising the homes until we do that we will continue to have this problem so the system of being able to get into the door of an appraiser is too hard it also requires them to be sponsored by someone well then you have to find someone willing to sponsor you already in that position so it takes us back to to pre-fair housing things where even real estate professionals have to be sponsored by a white person in order to do real estate So we're in that same position where appraisers have to be sponsored by someone else. We have to close that gap of the policy so we can get people in there that look like us so that we can get our fair share of this market. But aren't there laws in place, Shantae, that are supposed to help prevent housing discrimination? If I'm not mistaken, the Attorney General just filed a lawsuit. Yes, there are laws in place, but there is still the basis of it comes from a from an appraiser's thought process that I am going to value this neighborhood at this, and they find a good way to justify it. So a lot of the things that we're going around, it has to come down to the lawsuits, you know, to calling these people out, to writing articles, to having conversations like this, to be able to show that there is a way for them to get around the law. And that's where we are right now. 
All right. I want to end this interview on a happy note because this is just exhausting and depressing, to say the least. Um, so tell us how uh, your association is trying to change the narrative. So uh, the National Association of Real Estate Brokers was founded in 1947 out of a need for democracy and housing. Since then, we have focused tremendously on the black homeownership gap. In addition to that, we focus a lot on down payment assistance funds, as well as changing the credit model um, and making it easier for people to get financing. So we're doing our part in those directions and also bringing light to the disparities that are in place for black homeowners and potential buyers. Shante, child, this conversation made me wish it was Friday. Uh, thank you so much for stopping by BNC Live. It was, thank you for that insight. All right, pause right there. Okay, so that was uh, Tashani Whitlow with uh, Shante, um, Shante Wild um, from the Black News Channel. And that is from, uh, well, that clip is actually from December, well, it says December 8th, I guess it's from today. Uh, I think I saw it today or something. I can't remember. But uh, this was actually, I think this clip was from yesterday, uh, December 7th, and they uploaded it today. But anyway, uh, this is a good segment here from the Black News Channel. And they talk about uh, uh, the lawsuits. The, D the Department of Justice just announced in October filing the lawsuit. Um, when it came to uh, redlining as well, uh, Mary Garland, we, we dealt with that here on this show. Uh, Mary Garland filed a lawsuit uh, regarding that. And he also talked about the settlement of a, a redlining lawsuit uh, from early, I think it was early in the year um, also. Uh, so the lawsuits need to continue uh, as well. And then you have to have uh tougher laws because redlining is already illegal, but there are different loopholes and different ways around it. Now, we're coming up here on the break, and I want to uh, also check out this article here we've talked about before. This is from uh, Curbed.com, Curbed.com, and it deals with the study from the Brookings Institute that deals with how the average African-American home is uh, valued at 40 $8,000 less than, than uh, uh, a comparable white home. And nationwide, this amounts to $156 billion in uh, cumulative losses for African Americans, a loss in home value, which then negatively impacts uh, uh, African American wealth, median uh, household wealth, and then also our ability to generate uh, and to pass on generational wealth as, as well. So read this piece here from Curbed.com, how a segregation tax is costing Black American homeowners $156 billion. This is from November 27, 2018. All right, we're coming up on the break list to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we've suffocated and we stored in our body. 
It's the time to kill and it's the time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's time for the ghost LOXD block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWillie.com. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our story, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30-plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network. Subscribe now. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. Okay, uh, back to our um, story from the top of the hour. Um, black couple sues appraiser for valuing home at $500,000 more when whitewashed. Now, the, uh, the the segment that we just went to, that was from uh, the Black News Channel. Okay, a uh, very good segment. And that's on their um, YouTube channel, uh, BNC. Now, the if we go back here to the piece from the Washington Post, and we're going to uh, clip three here in just a minute, Shakita, about an update on uh, the suspect who shot and killed um, Jacqueline Avant, Jacqueline Avant. Okay, if we go back to this article from the Washington Post from December 6, 2021, a black couple says an appraiser lowballed them so they whitewashed their home and say the value shot up. On page two of the article, it's, it talks about the study uh, from the Brookings Institute that I mentioned right before the break. A 2018 study by the Brookings uh, Institution uh, found that homes in black neighborhoods in U.S. metropolitan areas were undervalued by an average of $48,000, amounting to $156 billion in losses, amounting to $156 billion in losses. Once again, this impacts, this negatively impacts generational wealth, um, the ability to for African-Americans to pass on wealth to uh, the next generation. Now, differences in the quality of the houses and neighborhoods did not fully explain the gap. According to uh, the study led by Andre Perry, senior fellow uh, for Brookings Metro, who studies housing discrimination. Once again, this is why when I hear white people who say that African-Americans just need to try harder to be equally successful as white people, I say, that's not how you did it. You, you had help from racism. Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race. Racism occurs when one race of people control the majority of the wealth, power, resources, benefits, privileges, land, access to opportunity, access to education, uh, media, jobs, etc. And they use that to marginalize, subordinate and do harm to another race of people. If you really want to deal with the history on this. Quote, Andre Perry said, it's almost it's almost when uh, people see black neighborhoods, they see twice as much crime than there actually is. It's almost when people see black neighborhoods, they see twice as much crime than there actually is. 
They see worse education than there actually is, Andre Perry told the Indianapolis Star. He said, I think this, I think this is what's happening when appraisers, lenders, real estate agents see blackness. I think this is what's happening when appraisers, lenders, lenders, real estate uh, agents see blackness. They devalue the asset. They devalue the property. Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race. Now, for the Austins, they bought the four, uh, four bedroom, two bath house in 2016 for $550,000 when it had uh, uh, 1,248 square feet before purchasing, they struggled to compete in a hot housing market. But the previous owners, keen on helping a black couple achieve uh, home ownership, sold them the place off market. Over the next two years, the Austins spent $400,000 $400, to improve their home. They say in their lawsuit, they installed new appliances and fixtures in the kitchen and bathrooms. They refinished the uh, hardwood floors, uh, replaced windows, and painted the inside. In May 2018, a new appraisal concluded the house was worth $864,000, according to the lawsuit. The Austins kept renovating. They added a, a new foundation and retaining wall. Uh, creating more living space on the basement level. They put in a deck and a gas fireplace. They carved out a separate unit with its own kitchen and bathroom that could be used as a home office or a rental. They carved out a separate unit with its own kitchen and bathroom that could be used as a home office or a rental. Through all the renovations, the Austins nearly doubled the house's square footage. Okay, so uh, read the rest of this uh, uh, piece here from the Washington Post, which deals with uh, update on this story and it deals with the lawsuit that they filed uh, last week. A black couple says an appraiser lowballed them, so they whitewashed their home and 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 say the value shot up. Okay, uh, we're going to go to update here. Uh, we're going to clip three, Shakita. We're going to, to update here on the uh, suspect who uh, allegedly shot and killed Jacqueline Labonte, wife of music executive Clarence Avon. Let's go to clip three, Shakita. The man accused of killing Jacqueline Avon in Beverly Hills is expected to be arraigned today. 29-year-old Ariel Maynard is charged with murder and attempted murder. Police say Avon was shot during a break-in last Wednesday in her home. She was a well-known philanthropist and wife of music legend Clarence Avant. All right. Now, um, is that it? Okay. So the, now there's an article from um, ABC Channel. What is that? ABC 7 um, out of uh, Beverly Hills. Uh, arraignment for... A Raymond of man charged in fatal shooting of Jacqueline Avant delayed suspect still hospitalized suspect still hospitalized. So we covered this story, this tragic story last week, and uh, we're re-airing some of those uh, broadcasts um, on the days that we dealt with the story. Also, um, the Ariel Maynard was arrested after allegedly uh, accidentally shooting himself while breaking into a home an hour after uh, Jacqueline Avant's shooting. 
an hour after Jacqueline Avant's shooting. If we go to uh, ABC7 uh, out of um, San Francisco area, uh, the arraignment of a Los Angeles man charged in the shooting death of Jacqueline Avant, um, the wife of music executive Clarence Avant, was delayed on Tuesday as he remains hospitalized. Was delayed on Tuesday as he remains uh, hospitalized. Let's see. Uh, Ariel Maynard, 29 years old, was due at the airport uh, at, at the airport branch courthouse. Uh, where he was slated to be arraigned on one count, one count each of murder, attempted murder, and being a felon in possession of a firearm, along with two counts of residential burglary with a person present, according to the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. Now, the criminal complaint also includes an allegation that Ariel Maynard used an assault long barrel pistol during the crimes. Uh, Ariel Maynard, 29 years old, allegedly shot and killed Jacqueline Avant, who was 81 years old, at about 2.25 a.m. during the robbery, uh, during a robbery inside her home in the 1100 block of uh, uh, Mator Place in Beverly Hills. He is also accused of shooting at a security guard who was not wounded during the robbery, according to the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. Okay, Maynard was arrested uh, after allegedly, uh, he was arrested after uh, uh, allegedly accidentally shooting himself while breaking into a home in the 6,000 block of Graciosa, uh, Graciosa Drive in Hollywood Hills, roughly an hour after uh, Jacqueline Avon shooting authority said. All right, those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching. We're out of time here on 9 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. Right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. All right, stand by. Let me clear this uh, line. Okay. All right, let's keep going here. Stand by. All right. So, Los Angeles police responding to the call found Ariel Maynard at the scene suffering from a gunshot wound. Uh, to a foot, according to uh, Beverly Hills uh, Police Chief Mark Stainbrook. Okay, so we'll keep you uh, up to date on developments here um, in this uh, tragic story. Uh, he's still in the hospital. And, uh, you know, it's just a crazy, crazy story. Now, among the evidence collected was a, was a quote-unquote, uh, a suspected weapon from the crime described by police as an AR-15 rifle, uh, police chief Stainbrook and uh, uh, said Ariel Maynard is on parole and has an extensive criminal record, which bars him from possessing a weapon. According to court records, Ariel Maynard pleaded no contest to a domestic uh, violence charge in July 2013 and was placed on probation. But later that year, he pleaded uh, no contest to a robbery charge and uh, was sentenced to five years in prison. He also has a grand theft conviction uh, from 2010, according to uh, court records. Okay, and the um, that so that was uh, December. I think that was from December first uh, that the break in and uh the shooting took place
that have been Wednesday, December 1st. All right, quote, uh, the evidence thus far shows that only one suspect was involved in the crime and the motive remains under investigation, said Police Chief Stainbrook. Video from the uh, Avon home on Wednesday morning showed a shattered uh, sliding glass door. Okay, that was uh, Wednesday, December 1st. A sliding glass door indicative of a break-in. So you can read the rest of this uh, here from ABC7. Um, out of uh, Beverly Hills, uh, ABC7. Uh, arraignment of man charged in a fatal shooting of Jacqueline Avant delayed, suspect still hospitalized. Suspect still hospitalized. And this is from uh, Tuesday, December 7th, 2021. Okay, lastly, I want to go to um, this story here. Okay, so December 7th, 1940, uh, sorry, December 7th, 1874, I was thinking about Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941. Um, December 7th, 1874 was the Vicksburg Massacre in Mississippi. We talked about this before. And we just uh, had the anniversary of the Vicksburg Massacre. Now, there's an article from uh, the Zen Education Project on this. There's also one uh, that we posted on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, from uh, the Equal Justice Initiative, EJI.org also. Okay, so if we look at this piece here from the uh, Zen Education Project, and we deal with... Um, the Vicksburg Massacre and other massacres in the 10-week online course that I teach on Saturdays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. On December 7th, 1874, the Reconstruction Era Vicksburg Massacre occurred in Mississippi um, with estimates ranging from seven, uh, 75 to 300 African Americans killed. Estimates ranging from 75 to 300 African-Americans killed. Uh, white people attacked um, African-American citizens who had organized to defend Peter Crosby, who was who was an African-American sheriff, Peter Crosby. So this is during Reconstruction. Reconstruction is uh, 1865 to 1877. And African-Americans are making advancements. Uh, and they were some African-Americans were making advancements and they were betrayed by both the Republicans and the Democrats with the Compromise of 1877. Now, formerly enslaved and a veteran of the Union Army, Peter Crosby had been forced to resign. Peter Crosby had been forced to resign from his elected role as sheriff. Now, this is domestic terrorism uh, attacking um, African-American politicians and intimidating us to keep us from voting. Same thing January 6th insurrection was, okay? And the, 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 the insurrection is still brewing, okay? The, the, that's a continuation. The January 6th insurrection is a continuation of the Civil War and the domestic terrorism that was taking place during Reconstruction and after Reconstruction. So a detailed uh, description of the massacre 
uh, is in uh, the book, A Nation Under Our, Our Feet, Black Political Struggles in the Rural South from Slavery to the Great Migration. All right. Now, and this is by uh, Teach Reconstruction Campaign Advisor and Historian Steve Hahn. So most important was the emergence of what's known as the White League, the White League, which uh, and the uh, and the White Line Movement, L-I-N-E, the White Line Movement, more generally in Louisiana and Mississippi. Now, committed to drawing the racial line in politics and inviting, quote, all white men without regard to former party affiliations, end quote, to unite the league, the white league was first organized in Opelousa, Louisiana in late April. Okay. Late April, um, 1874 and then spread rapidly. Now Opelousa is Opelousa, Louisiana is where you have the, um, uh, Opelousa, Louisiana, uh, uh, race ride of, 1868 okay which involved voting as well and you had white domestic terrorists attacking african americans to intimidate us to keep us from voting also that was in opelousa louisiana 1868 now it clearly built on foundations established by the ku klux klan and the knights of the white camellia okay to uh, domestic terrorist organizations, white supremacist organizations. A Union Army commander regarded the White League as a, quote, second edition of the White Camellia campaign of 1868, but was even more directly aligned with the Democratic Party at the time, the Democratic Party at the time. Indeed, le- uh, leagues were often little more than local Democratic clubs converted into paramilitary companies. Quote, if the uh, Democratic Party is a, is a raid against the Negro and the Republicans, end quote, the Opelousa uh, uh, Courier proclaimed, it becomes a white league and no one can object to its efficient organization. It becomes a white league and no one can object to its efficient organization, end quote. Now, white leaguers surely recognize that the federal government was losing interest in interfering in Southern politics and sustaining Republican regime, regimes by military means. And we saw this with the Clinton, Mississippi race riot of 1875 when Republican President Ulysses S. Grant refused to intervene and he uh, claimed his doctrine of non-intervention. And he basically said that, uh, you know, the, the North is tired of dealing with these uh, racial incidents every year that happen every year. And toward the end of Reconstruction, there was a diminishing desire on behalf of Republicans to continue to deal with the issues of African-Americans and fight against the white supremacists. If you go back to 1871, when the uh, Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871 was passed by Congress, President Ulysses S. Grant declared martial law in nine um, counties in South Carolina, 
to crack down on the Klan who was attacking African-American uh, elected officials, attacking white elected officials, beating them up, killing them, things like this. He declared martial law in 1871. In 1875, uh, he did not get involved in the Clinton, Mississippi uh, race riot. Now, we've talked about the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871 as well, and I, I deal with this in, in, in my class on Saturday also from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. And the Ku Klux Klan Act was one of the three force acts that were uh, passed during uh, the Reconstruction era. And it was is still on the books today. And it was uh, weakened by the U.S. Supreme Court uh, around 1883 or so. But it's still, it's still on the books today. Um, History.house.gov, which in... Uh, House.gov is the official website of the House of Representatives. History.house.gov is their history section. They have a piece here on the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871. Okay, April 20th, 1871. Uh, on this date, the House approved uh, an act to enforce the provisions of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution and for other purposes, and for other purposes. Also known as the Ku Klux Klan Act, it introduced H.R. 320, H.R. 320 on March 28, 1870, 1871, by Representative uh, Samuel uh, of Ohio. The bill passed the House on April 6, 1871, and returned from the Senate with amendments on April 14th, okay? Uh, so the Ku Klux Klan Act, the third of a series of increasingly stringent enforcement acts, enforcement acts are also known as force acts. There were four of them during the Reconstruction era. It was designed to eliminate extra legal uh, violence, designed to eliminate extra legal violence and protect the civil and political rights of 4 million freed uh, African slaves. The 14th Amendment ratified in 1868 defined citizenship and guaranteed due process and equal protection of the law to all. Vigilante groups, the Ku Klux Klan, however, freely threatened African-Americans and their white allies in the South and undermined the Republican Party's plan for reconstruction. The bill authorized the president to intervene in the former rebel states, the former Confederate states that attempted to deny, quote, any person, uh, deny any person or any class of persons of the equal protection of the laws or of equal privileges or immunities under the laws, end quote, to take action against this newly defined federal crime. The president could suspend habeas corpus, deploy the U.S. military, or use other means as he may deem necessary. Opponents denounced the bill as an unconstitutional attack on state governments and individual liberty. Okay, now um, on April, uh, after both chambers of Congress agreed to the uh, conference report on April 20th, Ulysses S. Grant signed the bill into law that day. Nearly six months later, in October of 1871, President Ulysses S. Grant used these powers of the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871 in several South Carolina counties, demonstrating the willingness of the Republican-led federal government to take decisive action to protect the civil and political rights of the freed people during Reconstruction. 
But when it came to four years later, Clinton, Mississippi race riot of 1875, Ulysses S. Grant did not intervene. There was a there was a diminishing desire by Republicans to intervene in um, uh, white supremacist attacks on African-Americans in the South. And in 1874, the 1874 midterm election, Democrats took back control of the House of Representatives. Republicans lost control of the House of Representatives for the first time since um, basically first time since before the Civil War. OK, when Lincoln won his first term in um, basically basically 1861 when he was inaugurated. OK, now. If we go back here quickly here. Uh, white leaguers surely recognized that the federal government was losing interest in interfering in Southern politics and sustaining Republican regimes by military means. But they also responded, but they also responded uh, to the growing assertiveness of African-Americans within the Republican Party, which showed itself in the rising incidents of black office holding, okay? So during Reconstruction, you're gonna have about 2,000 African-American men who get elected to uh, public office, all right? And we're voting because of the uh, 15th Amendment of 1870. The Af African-American men are voting because of the 15th Amendment of 1870. Now, by that time, uh, two uh, white line, L-I-N-E, counterparts in Vicksburg, Mississippi had demonstrated how paramilitary mobilization and very definite intimidation could bring electoral success, even uh, where black voters had the held decided numerical sway. So this is why we have to be careful and under no circumstances can the white nationalist party, also known as the GOP, the, 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 the party of the domestic terrorists, they cannot come back into power in the House or the Senate. Because if you actually understand what happened at the, toward the end of Reconstruction and after Reconstruction ended, and the white supremacists taking back control of the uh, uh, state legislatures in Mississippi and South Carolina, and the majority of African American, the majority of elected officials in the South Carolina state legislature were black men during Reconstruction. If you understand them taking back control like in Mississippi and African-Americans were the majority of the voters in Mississippi. And they had a Mississippi state uh, convention in 1890 and it was called the, the Mississippi plan, which became the model for other Southern states to suppress the African-American vote in South Carolina does it in 1895, Louisiana, 1898, Alabama, 1901, Oklahoma's going to do it as well. Well, the same thing is taking place now, except now it's the Republican Party doing it. Uh, go back and read this article that we talk about here frequently, but all this deals with history. The Mississippi plan to keep blacks from voting in 1890. We came here to exclude the Negro. And we, and we actually talked about this uh, this, uh, this past weekend in, in uh, my class uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power because we went through the 1890s and into the early 1900s. Then we dealt with Williams versus, Williams versus Mississippi, 1898 U.S. Supreme Court case, when Mississippi gets sued uh, and uh, it's, it, the, 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 the claim was that Mississippi was violating the 15th Amendment. U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the poll taxes and literacy tests that, that Mississippi put in place 
did not violate the 15th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. So we saw this continue throughout southern states. And what Mississippi did became known as the Mississippi Plan, which became the model that other southern states used to suppress the African-American vote and impose Jim Crow laws. Then you think, and then you have Plessy versus Ferguson, U.S. Supreme Court case 1896, that legalized the Jim Crow laws. Now, because of what happened after Reconstruction with the passing of laws, poll taxes, literacy tests, then in uh, Louisiana with the uh, grandfather clause of 1898, and then other states are gonna adopt the grandfather clause, they, they, uh, uh, different states that have like all white primaries, like in Texas, all white primaries, et cetera. That's why you needed a voting rights act in 1965 to deal with what took place after Reconstruction ended and the voter suppression tactics, the Jim Crow laws that uh, the poll taxes, the literacy test that these southern states had in place. That's why you needed the voting rights act in 1965 to erase all of that. Okay, now if we go back here. Uh, if anything still held back a full scale white, if anything still held uh, back a full scale white paramilitary offensive, it was removed when in the November elections of 1874, congressional Democrats won control of the House of Representatives for the first time, for the first time since Southern slaveholders had rebelled against the national government. Okay for the first time since uh, before the Civil War, Democrats took back control of the House of Representatives in that 1874 midterm election. In, Vicks in Vicksburg, Mississippi, white liners seemed to commemorate the event by moving quickly to complete the work they had begun in the summer. This time they focused on the country rather than the municipal government. This time they focused, I'm sorry, the county. This time they focused on the county rather than the municipal government, which almost wholly dominated, which was almost wholly dominated by black Republicans, including African-American Sheriff Peter Crosby, who was a native Mississippian who had served in the Union Army during the Civil War. Meeting in December of 1874, they demanded the resignations of the white liners, these white supremacists, this white par paramilitary organization. They demanded the resignations of all of the African-American officials and pressured African-American Sheriff Peter Crosby to yield under what, under what he regarded as uh, uh, threats of assassination. Now, Peter Crosby then headed to the state capitol for help. Republican Governor Adelbert Ames of the party's radical faction turned a sympathetic ear. He ordered uh, the riotous and disorderly persons who had expelled from office the legally elected sheriff, Peter Crosby. He ordered them, the governor ordered them to uh, disperse. Okay, so uh, Governor uh, Adelbert, Adelbert, Adelbert Ames ordered 
these white domestic terrorists to disperse and retire peaceably and, quote, submit to the legally constituted authorities, end quote. He also instructed a Warren County militia company to cooperate with Sheriff Peter Crosby's effort to regain office and, su and suppress the mob, and suppress the mob, and suggested that Sheriff Peter Crosby should summon a posse for further assistance. Now, Governor Adelbert Ames' um, orders did little to change the behavior or temper of the Vicksburg white domestic terrorists, but Sheriff Peter Crosby's call for a posse revealed a strong foundation of loyalty and organizational readiness among African Americans and the surrounding countryside. With dispatch owing to the churches, political clubs, and other institutions of African American community life, a, mo a major mobilization took place. A major mobilization took place. As several hundred African Americans marched in three columns toward Vicksburg, Mississippi, even Sheriff Peter Crosby feared the consequences and tried to turn some of them back. But it was too late. White people had opened fire, and despite some brief standoffs, the African Americans were forced to flee. For another 10 days, for another 10 days, some of the young white participants joined by reinforcements from across the river in Louisiana stayed on the warpath. When the smoke cleared, at least 29 African Americans had been killed and a great many more had been had been wounded and terrorized. Now, their, their estimates of somewhere between 75 to 300 African-Americans killed, okay, that, uh, during the Vicksburg Massacre, during, the, during that period of time. This estimates are somewhere between 75 to 300 killed. Now, the seat of, uh, the seat of county government remained in the hand of the white domestic terrorist organization called the White Liners. And Sheriff Peter Crosby, briefly held as a prisoner, was compelled to resign yet again by these white domestic terrorists, like the ones that tried to overthrow the government January 6, 2021. Now, Governor Adelbert Ames called the state legislature into session and together they succeeded in convincing President Ulysses S. Grant to send a company of federal troops to quell the disturbances in Vicksburg, Mississippi and reinstall African-American Sheriff Peter Crosby. But Peter Crosby's days in the office were numbered and so too it appeared with those of Republicans over much of the state of Mississippi for the several month white line campaign in Vicksburg, uh, Mississippi and Warren County amounted to a rehearsal, a rehearsal for redemption or really a rehearsal for domestic terrorism by these white supremacist groups in Mississippi. Torch lighting processions of paramilitary drilling, torch lighting 
torchlight processions, paramilitary drilling, the disruption of Republican political meetings, the harassment of African-American workers, the intimidation and assassination of African-American leaders, the driving off of local office holders, and the disabling of armed African-American resistance, all of which made their appearance in the Vicksburg Massacre of 1874, were to come into concerted use in 1875 in counties that previously had safe Republican majorities. History is repeating itself because you can draw a direct line from the Vicksburg Massacre of 1874, trying to overthrow duly elected officials to what took place January 6, 2021, and what's taking place right now with the voter suppression laws Republicans are pushing in state legislatures based upon the big lie. You can draw a direct line. This was one of many massacres in US history. Many of the massacres, such as this one, were designed to reassert white supremacy during Reconstruction, and they even and and then and then later on, they're going to write it into their state constitutions. So, if our vote doesn't matter, why do Republicans work so hard to suppress the African American vote? They ain't tell African-Americans back then your vote doesn't matter. The domestic terrorists, they were trying to keep us from voting. December 7, 1874, the Vicksburg massacre in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Um, read, uh, let's see here. Read this, because we, we, um, this past weekend we talked about the Alabama State Constitution of 1901 that um, codify white supremacy. Let me pull this up quickly, then we have to get out of here. Alabama State Constitution in 1901 that codified white supremacy. Now that's not me saying that, that's what the Encyclopedia of Alabama says. Encyclopedia of Alabama, encyclopediaofalabama.org, Alabama Constitution, 1901. Written primarily to codify white supremacy by disfranchising African-Americans, blacks. The Constitution of 1901 continues to shape Alabama politics in the 21st century. The Constitution also concentrated power in the state legislature, decrease opportunities for home rule and establish voter requirements that even many white men could not meet because they were trying to suppress the African-American vote, reducing the political influence of the state's many poor whites because they're trying to go after African-Americans and get them voted and um, uh, suppress the vote so they can't elect African-Americans and, 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 and Republicans into uh, statewide office. The political developments that led to the Constitution, Alabama State Constitution 1901, originated in the post-Civil War Reconstruction era. The Republican-controlled U.S. Congress 
abolished slavery under the 13th Amendment, granted citizenship to former slaves, the 14th Amendment, and guaranteed the right to vote to African-American men, the 15th Amendment. Congress forced the ex-Confederate states to pass constitutions that further articulated these rights for former slaves. When Alabama's Democratic Party regained control of the state government in the election of 1874, and we know in 1874, Democrats took back control of the U.S. House of Representatives also, one of the first actions was to overturn Alabama's Reconstruction Constitution of 1868, which had expanded voting rights among African-Americans and poor whites. So one of, the, one of the things they did when they took back control of the state government in 1874 is to overturn the Alabama Reconstruction Constitution of 1868. Read the rest of this here from Encyclopedia Alabama, Alabama Constitution of 1901. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Um, if you like this type of uh, information, this type of history, you can register for the online courses I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. On Saturdays, it, uh, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Uh, each class we go through and analyze approximately a 10-year period of history. We get deep into this information. I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips. We go chronologically throughout history to understand what happened to us after slavery ended. What were the laws and policies put in place to put us in the predicament we are right now to understand where we need to go from here? Um, that's Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch them anytime, even after the 10-week online course is over with. You can still go back and watch uh, the full course. You still have full access to the course. And you can use this with your children. Um, I would say the information is PG-13. Uh, so it's not graphic and crazy. And I don't do a lot of cursing, things like this. On Sundays, I teach ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they, what they didn't teach you in school. Ancient Kemet, one of the original names for Egypt. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. So uh, the classes are regularly $130. Uh, th th we have a special bundle pack right now. You can register for both classes for only $70. So it's a uh, $260 value for only $70. And you can register for the classes individually if you want to. Um, understand the transatlantic slave trade is on sale $60. And from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement is uh, on sale $50. Okay. So that's right at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have a special bundle pack going on for a few more days. Uh, also, check out the Kwanzaa Shop. We have it right on the homepage of our website, TheKwanzaaShop.com. You can get all your Kwanzaa needs, your Kanawas, your, uh, your your mats, your flags, all that. And this is uh, Sister Nubia Wartford's business, TheKwanzaaShop.com. So uh, we have that right on the homepage of our website, and you can go directly to their website, thekwanzashop.com also. Uh, African-American business owners, post the name of your business here on the thread of the broadcast. Email us at ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com. ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com. We'll let you know how you can advertise uh, with the African History Network. Take your 30-second to 60-second commercial. 
put into the um, rebroadcast of these shows and also into the audio podcast um, of these shows as well, Warren. 10 different audio podcast platforms, iHeartRadio, iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, FM Player, TuneIn. Uh, you uh, you can send us a commercial or we can create one for you, no additional charge. Okay, so email us at uh, ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com and our current promotion is buy one month, get one month free. All right, we have to get out of here. Remember, the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And uh, if you want to support us through Cash App or uh, PayPal, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. And then also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. We're here six days a week. And so let's keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting. This is our official Cash App account, dollar sign the AHN show, S-H-O-W. When you go to it, it says Michael and shows my picture there. These other ones are fake African History Network Cash App accounts. All right, we'll talk to you next time. Peace. Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's time for the ghost LOXD block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWillie.com. Soul in Motion, celebrating 38 years in the arts. This energetic ensemble of dancers and drummers was started by percussionist Michael Friend and is led by choreographer, associate director Pam Lassiter. Based in the Washington, D.C. area, Soul in Motion is now accepting bookings for Black History Month, Juneteenth, and summer festivals in 2022. Soul in Motion is also available for more intimate events like naming ceremonies and weddings. To find out more or book your date, call 240-452-1349 or send an email to info at soulinmotion.org. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Soul in Motion, celebrating our history, our culture, our future. Soul in Motion, theater, African dance, and drumming, since 1984. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. 
Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30-plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network, subscribe now. Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our bodies. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's time for the ghost LOXD block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at diewillie.com.